Over the past few weeks, we have been focusing on the remarkable parables that Jesus told and that are, that are collected in the 13th chapter of Matthew. But today we move to Matthew's 14th chapter, and the tone of the gospel changes remarkably. At the beginning of the 14th chapter, Matthew tells the story of the, uh, of the execution of John the Baptist. And it's, it's quite a stark and startling story. You know that, that John and Jesus were related to each other and that, that John was Jesus' mentor. And so his loss must have affected Jesus deeply. And then just after John's execution, his death, we find this story uh, that we are going to look at today, beginning at the 13th verse. If you're able to stand to receive the gospel, would you do so now? Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here except five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Some years ago, uh, Tony Campolo was invited to address a women's conference in the Midwest. He was their, he was their principal speaker for this week of meetings. And during their time together, the women who gathered were being challenged to support a particular mission project um, to the tune of several thousands of dollars. Well, near the beginning of the conference, all of those, all of the leaders were gathered together on the, on the platform ready to uh, uh, begin the conference. And uh, the, the chairperson uh, invited Tony Campolo to step up to the microphone and, and offer a prayer for God's blessing as they considered how they would respond to this mission goal and this challenge to raise a great deal of money. And to everyone's amazement and surprise, Tony Campolo stood and he went to the microphone and he said, no, 
No, I will not pray for God's blessing as you consider how you will respond to this mission opportunity. He said, he said, you already have all the resources that you need. You already have everything that's required to complete this mission project right here in this room right now. It would be inappropriate for me to ask for God's blessing when, in fact, God has already blessed you with the abundance and the means to reach this goal. The necessary gifts have already been provided. They are in your hands. As soon as we take the offering and we underwrite this mission project, then we will thank God for freeing us to be generous, responsible, and accountable stewards that we are called to be as Christian disciples. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. This is a rich world. We live in an abundant time, and we are rich people. Most, more importantly, we serve a God of abundance. You remember in the 13th chapter of Matthew, where numerous of Jesus' parables are recorded, we are told about a farmer who sows too much seed, He is sowing his seed profusely across the good and fertile ground, but also across rocky ground, too. Much of his effort and much of his seed was, as we say, wasted. In fact, as the story is told, we are led to believe that as much as three-quarters of that farmer's work was wasted. But when you're sowing good seed in questionable soil, sometimes you have to overdo it a bit. Some of that seed did manage to germinate and take root, and it produced an abundant harvest. You remember another story about Jesus. In the second chapter of John, the wine gives out at a wedding party. And what does Jesus do? He turns water into wine. Not just some water into some wine, but he makes, according to John's estimate, something like 180 gallons of the best-tasting wine they ever had. Now, I'm a United Methodist, and I'm not supposed to know about such things, but uh, that sounds like a lot of wine to me. Sounds like an awful lot. He didn't just turn water into wine. That would have been quite a sign in itself, a cup full, or, or maybe even a pitcher. But... He made 180 gallons of the stuff, an abundance, more than they needed, more than they could use. You remember the story of the wayward son who wasted his father's property, wasted his inheritance. And the father, when the son came home, he didn't just welcome him. He threw a huge, expensive party, extravagant. Abundant. It wasn't that the Good Samaritan just stopped and helped the wounded man in the ditch. It was the way he did it. He put the wounded man in his car. He took him to the local hospital. 
He said to the doctors, here's my checkbook. Here are all my credit cards. Everything I have, I'll be back in a week. And if that's not enough to take care of him, I'll give you even more. There's no indication he even knew the wounded man. Isn't it just a bit overly generous on the part of the Samaritan to behave like that? Extravagant, we would say. Jesus said that when one sinner comes home, when one sinner turns and repents, heaven throws a huge party. Can you imagine? You know how expensive a party can be here on earth. Imagine what good catering costs in heaven. Extravagant, abundant. Jesus told stories like that all the time. Stories of abundance and extravagance. Not because Jesus was trying to browbeat us into being like that. Not because Jesus was was trying to tell us how to live our lives. But Jesus was describing to us what God is like. This is what God is like. God is the sower. God is the Samaritan. God is the one who, who provides for us in every way, extravagantly, abundantly. God God could have been satisfied with making one variety and one color of flower. And that would have been miracle enough for us. And yet look around at the colors and the shapes, the millions and millions of flowers and trees. Wouldn't you call such colorful creativity excessive, extravagant, and all the rich panoply of people? All different races, all different colors, all diversities of size and shape, of sound and sense. Let other gods be parsimonious and miserly and cautious and careful. This creator whom we worship is exuberant. He overdoes almost everything. Here is a God who, when he started creating people and flowers and birds and stars, he just didn't know when to stop, just didn't know when to quit. Jesus tells a story about a boss who who called all his employees together and gave them everything he owned. And then he went on a journey. The employee who got half of the boss's property went out and he wheeled and dealed and he doubled his holdings. The one who got a fourth of it did just the same. But there was one prudent, cautious employee who took what he was given and buried it in a field and kept it safe and sound, and that's the one that the boss was mad at. That's the one who received his rebuke because he hadn't he hadn't lived ex- exuberantly, extravagantly. He hadn't taken the risks and and found the joy in what he had been given. Something is built right into the nature of this God, it, it seems. Something that, that is just part of who God is that, that tends toward effusiveness and extravagance and abundance. That's just part of God's nature. You know, that's what the word prodigal means. Sometimes when we hear that word, we tend to think that prodigal means naughty. But that's not what it means at all. Prodigal means extravagant, effusive, generous, even to the point of being wasteful. And so when you read the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son was in his own way wasteful. But God was even more of a prodigal. 
generous, extravagant. So Jesus teaches on a hillside, and he looks at the crowd who were hounding him and followed him even into his grief. Must have been thousands of them out there. They're hungry and it's getting dark. What are we going to do? Send them back to town so they can get something to eat, the disciples said. They need not go. You give them something to eat. What have you got? Nothing here but five little loaves of bread and two miserable little fish. Let me have it, Jesus said. And he blesses it and breaks it and gives it. And wonder of wonders, it's enough. All ate and were filled, Matthew says. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. The truth was, there wasn't enough. There was more than enough. Much more than enough. There are ways, there are ways to explain the feeding of the 5,000. It, it just could be that when, when people were drawn to Jesus, they, they saw God's generosity and God's extravagance, and they were moved and inspired to be generous too. And so they shared the food that they had brought with them. Maybe it happened that way. Maybe it was something else. Who knows how Jesus did it? The point is that when Jesus is present, miracles happen. When Jesus and the spirit of Jesus is with us, miracles happen. They happen in operating rooms. They happen in marriages. They happen in all kinds of places. When Jesus is present, great things happen. All Jesus needs is a little to work with. But when he's given something to work with, amazing things happen. And there is a spiritual principle that I hope you will not overlook. Jesus does need something to work with, even if it's just a little bit. A couple stands before their pastor in a service of marriage. They promise to love one another in sickness and in health, in riches and in poverty, for better or for worse. In other words, they give one another everything they've got. Is that very wise? Is that advisable to love with such extravagance, to hold nothing back, to love without limit until we are parted by death? Ought not, ought not the bride and groom to hold something back and, and carefully consider just, just how much love they can muster for one another and yet still, still maintain their cherished individuality? No, says the church. Go ahead. Love with unbridled extravagance. Love with enthusiasm. Don't hold anything back. Be just like God is in your love for one another. Extravagant. Prodigal. Because you know how love is, don't you? If you spend it all today, then by tomorrow your accounts will be filled again with even more than you had before. A number of years ago, there was a, a congregation in Cartersville, Georgia, who decided they wanted to begin a group in their church uh, to work with Habitat for Humanity. They wanted to do what they could to build houses for people who were poor and people who were homeless. And they talked about it for some time among themselves. And then they realized that, well, since we are, we live so close 
to Americus, Georgia, where Millard Fuller lives. Millard Fuller is the founder of Habitat for Humanity. Why don't we go and see him and talk to him about what would be the best ways to start our group and to get started uh, working with Habitat for Humanity? So they, they went to Americus and uh, they toured the habitat facilities there, such as they were. They saw a a presentation on on how groups operate and how to get one started. And then they had a few minutes to sit down with Millard Fuller himself. He came to talk to this group from Cartersville. And during the course of their conversation, one of those folks said, Mr. Fuller, we think that this is what God is calling us to do. This is one of the things that, that we are passionate about at our church, working with Habitat for Humanity. But one of the things that we haven't been able to resolve and one of the questions we haven't been able to answer is this. How much money do you think we should have in the bank before we really get serious about getting this off the ground and participating in our first project? Well, when he heard that question about how much money they needed to have before they started, Millard Fuller sat there for just a few minutes in silence, a few moments, I should say. And then he leaned forward at the table and he began to speak in a very low, serious voice. And this is what he told them. He said, it would be wholly irresponsible. It would be completely negligent. It would be totally featherbrained if you started an affiliate to work with Habitat for Humanity without at least one dollar. Without at least one dollar. But you have to have a dollar. Don't dare make a move without it, without that dollar. Well, Millard Fuller knew what Tony Campolo knew years before at that conference. All the resources that you need to meet this mission and to meet this goal you already have. And in fact, all God needs to work with is just a little bit. And God can transform our hesitancy and our weakness, even, even our selfishness, into extravagant abundance. If God has just a little bit to work with, perhaps if we give God something to work with, God's miraculous ways can be seen in us and by us and through us for all of God's world. Amen.